0: Aloha and welcome to the Hoop Southbound podcast. My name is David.
1: Hey guys, it's Maddie.
0: And we have a lot to talk about for this week. A lot of things happened. A lot of things didn't go so particularly good. And, you know, things are not particularly going great this second for a certain basketball team. And we will talk about that more in a second. Um, We are recording this in the middle of our game of the week. Kentucky versus Gonzaga, which has kind of been... A letdown so far if you're a member of Big Blue Nation, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Maddie, I got a feeling we're not going to get a ton of uh, Kentucky fans wanting to particularly listen to basketball at this given second. I got a feeling they're going to call into some radio stations this uh, this week and talking about firing Cal.
1: (laughs) I mean, if things keep going the way that they are going, especially right at this second, um, you know, I think Cal's seats getting a little bit warmer.
0: It's getting warmer. He's definitely not in the hot seat in all reality, but yeah, I'm with you there. Like fans (laughs) are going to get mad. Like that's, that's where we stand right now is some mad fans. And right now this basketball game is particularly looking like they're going to continue to be mad this week. So we'll get into that in a second. Um, We've obviously got some news to talk about for this week. Um, Hitting the recruiting trail uh, to start off the show. We have a great interview uh, that's going to be part of the podcast today with uh, Ben Brandon. Uh, and he's gonna talk to us a little bit, not only about the Maui invitational, but also Arkansas ended up pulling five-star recruit out of Colorado Bay Fall. Physically gifted big man, size, length, athletic, mobile, has the ability to run the floor and has a great and has great lateral movement. He's got that rare versatility as a pickup and roll defender. Um, this is a big pickup from us.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, um, while we do have some some good big men on our roster right now. I think Bayfall is going to be the missing piece that can help get us to a national championship.
0: Oh yeah. I think so too. And this is his second five star in this class. Um, so like, you know, you definitely have some pieces that are going to fit in when Jordan Walsh, Anthony black and whoever, you know, Trevin Brazil, whoever decides to go on to the NBA in the uh, off season, you know, these are two of those replacement pieces that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, looking at him and Leighton Blocker coming into Arkansas, you know, at first I was a little bit worried um, when you look at how strongly we rely on those freshman names, um, especially because, you know, a lot of them have been called kind of one and done, um, play for Arkansas one year, go to the draft or go to the G League. Um, so, you know, having Bayfall and Leighton coming in next year, um, it definitely relieves a little bit of anxiety that uh, had me sitting on Arkansas next year.
0: You know, what's really interesting is that Moses Moody was the first one and done in the history of Arkansas. And within like f- the first five years, Musk can get that number up to five or four or whatever. Um, yep, yep. Just like that. I mean, that's a, that's a really quick turnaround for this sport. And you think about all the great five stars that have come into Arkansas. You got like Bobby Portis is one of the names that come to mind. Joe Johnson, who stayed through his sophomore year. Um, and then you think about one of the five stars who didn't necessarily pan out as well, BJ Young. Um, you know, Arkansas has pulled in five stars in the past, but we haven't seen the kind of talent that can immediately go to the league after a year of basketball. So it, it's definitely it's definitely a new error in Fayetteville um, is the way the recruiting is going. Speaking of five star recruits, we have another five star recruit we absolutely have to talk about. Namely, the number one recruit in the country, according to the 24-7 Sports. And that is DJ Wagner deciding that he wanted to go to Kentucky.
1: Man, you know, all I can say right now is watching this game, they need him to hurry up and get there.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is what Cal does, is that he gets these really talented five-star guys and mm-hmm. says, I'm going to send you to the league, and that's exactly what ends up happening. Um, and it's just his one and done system that he's had for a long time. I know ESPN had that documentary called One and Not Done, but like, you know, it's you know, that's this is what he does. Now, for DJ Wagner, he's a talented combo guard. Um his decision was to come to Kentucky, uh or Louisville was the other school they was talking about, uh, and he ended up picking Kentucky. Now, I don't know exactly how much Louisville being absolutely hot garbage at the beginning of the, uh, of the year had to play into that. But, you know, Kentucky's a little bit more prestigious, I would say as far as where you are wanting to end up.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, looking into it, um, a little bit more on, on 24 seven, I feel like we might start looking at a Kentucky and Memphis rivalry for prospects.
0: It could happen. It definitely could happen. I definitely know Memphis is on the rise, and it's getting more and more interesting. Um, And yeah, you want to elaborate on that a little bit more?
1: (laughs) You know, DJ Walker, um, just looking, also had offers from Memphis, Louisville, Syracuse, and Temple. Obviously went with Kentucky. Um, But recently, Mikey Williams, uh, who was the number 22 High school prospect uh, just signed with Memphis um, as well, so you know it's looking like Kentucky and Memphis are going to start going pick for pick. It's it's kind
0: of a hotbed right now between you know Arkansas,
1: um, Tennessee,
0: um, Auburn, and now Memphis in that equation, trying to pull talent mm-hmm. from everywhere. I think where Arkansas has the best advantage is the fact that they can reach out a little bit further into the Midwest to pull kids in who are in in those in between conferences. A little bit more, there's a lot more mid-major basketball out there. Like, you know, that's where Bay Fall comes from. Like yep, that's on the outskirts sure. of the Pac 12. They can bring them in. And then Arkansas's got the Texas hotbed that they bring guys in. Whereas Kentucky recruits nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in the case of like DJ Wagner here. Um, and then Tennessee, kind of the same thing. Um, but they they look a lot of in-state and regional. Uh, and then Auburn kind of is trying to do what Arkansas does and expand further out, but like it's not necessarily working out the way that they want them to. Now, on the other side of this, I will say Um, the person I feel the worst for in this whole given situation is Reed Shepard. Now, Reed Shepard, for those of you who don't know, is the best high school player in the state of Kentucky. And he signed with Kentucky. He's probably the lowest ranked prospect in this class. I don't know when he's going to find playing time for this Kentucky team. Um, I I kind of feel bad for him um, because Kentucky now has the number one, number two um, recruits in the country, and they have four players that are in the top 10. This is an impressive, impressive class for the cats.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, if Cal gets together and is able to uh, come out with, with a solid season this year, um, I think, you know, developing all these players that are, have already signed with Kentucky And then, you know, their current bench is stocked as well. So, you know, I think they're a problem for the next few years to come.
0: And speaking of problem, um, one of the graphics that we put out this incoming 2023 class, um, the SEC has pulled in roughly 20 percent of the top 50 players in the country are going to an SEC school. Now, that being said, We're primarily right now talking about Arkansas and Kentucky in this little recruiting section. And I think it's worth noting that Arkansas and Kentucky are the only teams in the SEC with recruits in the top 25, according to 24 sports. So I thought that was interesting is that, yeah, there's other schools that are doing well and there's a lot of talent that's coming in. Um, It's mainly being split between those four schools, between Arkansas, Kentucky, Auburn and Tennessee. But Arkansas and Kentucky right now are the front runners uh in in this conference. You think about the recruiting class that Arkansas had last year, think about the talent that's coming in next year, and then what Kentucky does every year with all those top five, you know, those top 25 recruits. You know, right now the recruiting race is between Arkansas and Kentucky, and there's this different there's a different path that each coach is taking. Must is taking the transfer portal in conjunction with those five stars. Kentucky is putting their money. On those five-star recruits coming in. So that's the good news for Kentucky. Um, So in our weekly recap here, we do need to talk about what was game one of the week for Kentucky in the Champions Classic. A huge loss to Michigan State, but maybe, just maybe, Michigan State. Is better than we thought they were at the beginning of the season.
1: I mean, I would definitely have to agree with that. Um, Michigan
0: State looks like a top 25 team. Let's be real. They they look like they deserve to be in the top 25.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, watching that game, you can't go into double overtime with Kentucky and not be a good basketball team.
0: No, I agree with that entirely. And, but there were also, like, in times of this game as well. Well, actually, let me stay on the Michigan State point first, is that, you know, Michigan State took Gonzaga to the wire. I know I give a lot of discredit to it because it was the boat game. As I kept referring to it, Um, but like in in all seriousness, Michigan State did take Gonzaga to the wire and then Michigan State came out again and showed that. No, it wasn't a boat. We're legitimately a good basketball team. And then they came out and they played extremely tough against Kentucky. Um, But, you know, you have mistakes on Kentucky's part. You have the Shavar Wheeler uh, foot drag. Uh, where he mm-hmm. clearly picked up his pivot foot and slid across the floor with it. Um, and they called that a traveling um, Kentucky shot the ball extremely poor and Michigan state got the floor spread out. They started hitting threes and then they took advantage of the paint paint when they got Kentucky's a uh, defense spread out. So, you know, it was oops city in that second overtime, like, as you put it, like it was, it was absolutely crazy.
1: It was, I mean, you know, just looking and I mean, I've noticed mainly the, the average field goals but looking over the stats again MSU had 8 over 8% um advantage on three point percentage and you can't kentucky you can't do offense. that if you want to win a basketball game
0: no i agree and kentucky has a good offense so like that's mm-hmm. what's even more concerning is that they let a team you know the, you got to close out three pointers you got to play better defense on the three pointer and What the three-pointer does is that it doesn't only give you those, you know, that extra point per possession. If you hit that three, it also ends up spreading the floor out, which is exactly what Michigan State and Mike Izzo took advantage of, is that they started calling plays to go right into the paint and take this game to Kentucky. And, like, that's exactly what they did. Um, Yeah, rough game for Kentucky for sure. They bounce back, beating South Carolina State. And at time of recording, Kentucky, as we mentioned earlier, is currently playing our game of the week against Gonzaga. Maddie, what's the score in that game right now?
1: There's eight seconds left in the first, and Gonzaga is stomping Kentucky, forty-one to twenty-five.
0: It is a bad, bad week in Lexington. Um, I mean, it Gonzaga's
1: is... already in double bonus, so Kentucky needs to clean it up for sure, and they're just making some sloppy turnovers.
0: This is really bad foul problems all around on Kentucky. Really bad play, yep. questionable lineups by Cal. Tonight. Yeah. And yeah, of course, turnovers. I know Toppin just had a turnover a minute ago. I just looked at the game cast. Um, yeah. Oh, fun. So much fun right now. If you're a Cats fan, well, don't worry. We're going to, we'll be back later to talk about this probably toward the end of the show and see where we're at at that point. There are some other things that we need to talk about in the SEC besides Big Blue Nation. Hashtag beer for Big Blue Nation. They could use a drink right now. Um Definitely. <laughs> um, But The SEC this weekend or this week, really, um, it's kind of the unofficial start to feast week. I kind of think of feast week starting more on Saturday, but, you know, it's a commercial thing anyway. And ESPN says when feast week starts, Um, but SEC looked terrible in their non-conference tournaments. Um, And when I say that, I'm talking about, of course, Texas A&M and South Carolina. Maddie, South Carolina was horrible. Horrible, 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 horrible,
1: horrible, horrible. I mean, South Carolina. We completely ragged on Vanderbilt the first two episodes of the season. South Carolina is now below Vanderbilt for the worst record in the SEC at two and three. Yeah, they're the only team in the SEC with a losing win loss record. Yeah, they
0: might be the worst team in the conference. We thought they would be the worst team in the conference, and after this week, they pretty much told us, "Yeah, we are." We, we they just raised their hands and said, Yeah, we're that bad. Um, they they self-identified for us. Uh, if it wasn't for Gigi Jackson and Carter out there, I think there would be a, a real possibility this team would be as bad as Georgia was last year. And that Georgia team was historically bad. Like no team had ever been worse in the SEC than Georgia last year. Um, so yeah, they're bad. You can't you can't go out and you can't lose. You know, first off, they got slaughtered by Colorado State. Um, mm-hmm. Colorado State, absolutely. Not Colorado. Colorado State. Uh, it's been a great <laughs> week in the Rockies, I should mention. Um, And, you know, you probably got ski trips that are starting up up there. And college basketball is absolutely on fire and might melt all the snow around there Um, with these teams that they're just beating right now. Uh, Colorado State got out there. We kind of ignored Colorado State a little bit. Kind of like, yeah, they're 3-0, but, like, are they going to be for real? Yep. We kind of ignored them in our preview. And, Yeah. They they came out and played pretty well in this tournament and demolished South Carolina game one.
1: Maybe we gave them the chip on their shoulder to do that.
0: <laughs> I, I doubt that they listened to us and I doubt that they were playing our podcast clip. It's like, oh yeah, Colorado State is just there, you know, like you know, <laughs> as we said, but like maybe they had a chip in their shoulders because like maybe there were some bigger podcasts saying that. You know, may, I I think that's a that's a distinct possibility. Kind of everybody was ignoring <laughs> <be>. them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, not a great week for not a great week for South Carolina. You also lose to Davidson, which we said Davidson would be a for real team. They uh, they lost that first game um, mm-hmm. that they had in the tournament. And then they play South Carolina end up beat South Carolina. And then you take the day off. And then this morning, Furman, who we spotlighted our mid-major, Furman takes care of business and beat South Carolina and. The thing is with this is that I mentioned is that South Carolina and Clemson may not be the best two teams in the state of South Carolina. The best team in the state might be Furman. And I'm right now inclined to believe my original statement on that point is that Furman might be the team that's the best in the state of South Carolina.
1: I mean, I wouldn't blame you for yeah. for that belief at all. Uh, based on you know what we've seen especially this week
0: I think results speak for themselves sometimes and I think this is one of those cases where results are speaking for themselves now a healthy Clemson team back with PJ Hall maybe maybe you start having that conversation but as it stands right now yeah they South Carolina's bad they're real bad uh meanwhile Texas A M came into the week ranked in the top 25. I think that may last a whole like, you know, week, you know, um, because this week, I don't think they're necessarily going to get any AP votes for that matter. Um, this was a bad showing by AM.
1: It would shock me if they got one.
0: <laughs> it would shock you if they get one AP vote. Yeah,
1: I mean, they were threatened today with last place in the Myrtle Beach invite and barely came out over Loy- Loyola, Chicago. So, I mean, if if they get one. Whoever votes for them obviously missed that game.
0: Yeah, I think that might be a writer somewhere down in the uh, Houston area. You know, he's he's an alumni. He, he writes for the Houston Chronicle. Like maybe maybe that's who's doing it. Yeah, no. So A&M terrible tournament. A&M loses to Murray State, and that is a Murray State team that is nowhere as good as it was under McMahon um, because of all the transferring out and then McMahon leaving for LSU. Uh, they got demolished by Colorado, uh, who dropped 100 on them. And the Buffaloes are likely going to be a bubble team this year because they can't decide if they're who they're going to be, you know, that Colorado team uh, beat Tennessee and now they've beaten Texas A&M, which are top 25 SEC schools, but they can't figure out if they're going to beat Grambling State or Grambling State or not, you know, like they they have some horrible losses. And some fantastic wins. Uh, personally, if I'm scheduling a uh, schedule for the Buffaloes in the future, I'm scheduling nothing but top 25 teams for my entire non-conference schedule because clearly they can beat those teams. They can't deal with mid-majors. That's just too much for them to ask, you know. Like the my goodness. Uh, and you're right. Yeah, they Texas A&M avoided getting swept this weekend, and the SEC being completely swept in their first two tournaments by getting getting past Loyola Chicago today. Yeah, Texas A&M. Correct me if I'm wrong, Maddie, and I, I just want to hear your opinion on this statement. Texas A&M is the biggest disappointment in the SEC so far this season.
1: In all sports. Whatever. In all sports
0: and <laughs> in both football and basketball,
1: Texas A&M is just a disappointment in general. I think. Yeah. No, um, it, it's it's bad. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I feel like if we went back and listened. I I would say I had some pretty strong stances on how I was not a fan of AM and I didn't like the fact that they were projected to do decent this year. So, I don't I don't want to say I told anybody, but just putting that out there. Well, you know,
0: objectively <laughs> if you looked at it, you know, you have an AM team that finished the year extremely hot last year. Mm-hmm. They did some good things in the in the transfer portal, and then oh. historically in year 4, Buzz gets his team to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he did that at Virginia Tech. And it's year four now in Texas A&M. And I think the expectation was is that you did extremely well in the NIT. You got to the NIT. You almost won the SEC tournament. Yeah, we, there's an expectation that you're going to be a tournament team this year. And that's in jeopardy right now. That's that's absolutely in jeopardy. Um, we did a poll on our Twitter account and 67% of people who responded to it said that Buzz is on the hot seat in College Station. And that's just the straight yeses he's on the hot seat. We also did the Infuego answer, in which people said 20% said his seat is in Fuego. Um, so I don't know if necessarily he's on the hot seat. I don't entirely agree. I think Buzz is a pretty good coach, and I think you're willing to give him a little bit of room. But, yeah, this is a massive disappointment. And I it, it, whether it's dramatic or not, Buzz has to get AM to the tournament this year.
1: Yeah. That's... I mean, there's definitely time to turn it around. We are still very early in the season. Um, so I think, you know, if they come out of this tournament, you know, hungry for
0: for some wins. Yeah. For
1: some wins and, you know, for a chance to get to that spot for the tournament, you know, hopefully we'll see another a different AM team after the disappointment this week. But
0: yeah, and I think my next concern with AM is that this is just a kind of a broad statement here. Uh, I'm not looking directly at the schedule right now, but I, I remember looking in the past. They don't have a strong non-conference schedule. So I don't know where their wins are going to come through the month of December and the rest of the month of November. And so most of the wins that they're going to have to get to make themselves a tournament team are going to be in SEC play. And that's incredibly difficult when you consider that you talking about the Auburn's of the world, maybe um, not in this given second, big blue nation is thinking, Oh yeah, no, we might get boat raced by A&M. But like in the end of the day, like I have faith that Kentucky is going to beat A&M. But yeah, um, when you're talking about the Arkansas Kentucky's Tennessee's and Auburn's of the world as teams that you got to get some wins against. That's not an easy ask. That's <laughs> not where you want to be. And Yeah, I think this is a tough spot for A and M to be in going forward right now. So like, there's got to be a path somehow. Buzz has got to figure that out. And if it's the answer is to win the SEC tournament, oh boy, like that's a that's a. (laughs) We saw Nolan Richardson do this. There have been teams that have pulled this out, but it is not the best route to get into the NCAA tournament by any. Yeah, I
1: mean. Looking over the rest of their schedule before SEC play starts, I honestly don't think it's going to help them very much. I mean, for November, you got DePaul and SMU. Um, I think, you know, they might be able to string together some wins there. But starting out December, they've got Boise State. Um, They play at Memphis, Oregon State. I think, you know, they'll be. Not a good team. Yeah, Oregon State's not a good team. Um, And Wofford, they should be able to get a win. But. You know, I think looking at it, they're maybe one or two games above fifty percent win from now until SEC play.
0: Yep, not a not a good place to be with A and And like we talked about this tournament last week, we mentioned that like this is the tournament where A and M can hurt themselves. They hurt themselves, and they successfully have hurt themselves very very well. Um, so yeah. Uh, the other game that we're just going to gloss over real fast because it is a good thing to note, and we're going to end our recap on a positive note. Florida beats Florida State. They bounce back from that awful FAU loss. Um, that said, Florida State has not won a game yet this year, which is very surprising to a lot of people. I uh, think Florida, you know, this is a good win to get their season back on track. We're going to talk about Florida a little bit more. They've got a tough path for them in their upcoming tournament, um, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, for right now... We got a great interview with Ben Brandon that we recorded earlier this week. So, Let's talk a little bit Maui. And we welcome into the show now Ben Brandon. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so obviously there's a lot to talk about with Arkansas basketball that's been going on. Um, before we start the Maui portion of this thing, which I know that's the key focus, um, obviously we, there was a lot of big recruiting news. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first off, Arkansas just pulled a five-star Ben Fall. Uh, center out of Colorado what can Arkansas fans expect from this kid uh, next season
2: yeah so obviously a a big deal he's been kind of on the top of the board for the staff for a while Um, obviously Eric Musselman and the staff they're extremely thorough you know I I keep track of this because I'm a total nerd but I've got like a a Google Doc with each class and who they've offered and who they have offers from because no offense to the other websites. They don't keep track of that stuff great all the time. But, uh, I like your really, tool a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So so each class typically, you know, the staff will offer like at least 50 kids. So they're really, really thorough. Uh, but they follow somebody that's been on, on the top of the list for a while. And, you know, I, I don't, even though he's a five-star, you know, he's top 15, top 20, I don't really think maybe he's a one-and-done player, to be honest. Um, he's still really, really raw offensively. and. He's a great defensive IQ. Uh, We can expect rim protection from the get-go. He's got a good mid-range game, but just still really, really raw. And obviously his frame is pretty thin. So to jump to the SEC and then maybe the NBA the next year, that's probably asking a lot. Um, And and it's not abnormal for even five-star big men to be in college for multiple years. So I think it's somebody that Hawk fans will be able to get to know a little bit because he may be there two years or maybe even three.
0: Yeah, I, I actually when you were saying that, I was just thinking about Oscar Shibway. Um yeah. like, yeah, the NBA's perception of Biggs has completely changed and like how long has Shibway now been at Kentucky? So like is this sure. is, is this kind of Arkansas Shibway in a way. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Definitely could happen. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely got a, a ton of potential, really raw offensively, but you can definitely expect um great rim protection. He's athletic. And, uh, you know, going to be a rim runner type. But it has a little bit of a mid-range game, too. And so he's a, he's a really, really interesting prospect and and really very different than anybody we've seen in recent years
0: on the Hill. Okay. that's I mean, that's yeah. really encouraging news. Um, yeah. so the I think others- looking
1: over his resume, um, you know, like you guys pointed out, big, big defensive uh, gift for Arkansas. But I think with Muscleman's system, uh, he'll really de- develop him offensively. And, yeah. you know, like David said, Looking at maybe like an Arkansas is Sheboy, so it's exciting for sure.
0: Very. So the other side of this whole recruiting thing is that I saw the tweet last night from Musselman's uh, press conference. Uh, he's saying that he's done looking at high school recruits for this year. So I, this at first seemed like kind of a simple question, but like the more I think about who Arkansas has and the four stars that they brought in last year, um, what's Arkansas looking like portal-wise? Like, what positions are the Hogs actually going to look at? And I know there's a lot of ifs and shoulds in that question.
2: Yeah. To me, it's going to be really guard-heavy uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, this team, while they're very talented, while they're going to be a blast to watch, they're going to make Musselman's hair turn gray. They just <laughs> are because they're, they're so young. Uh, But those guards, even though they're young, you know, we can see them going pro next year. And so I think this will probably be the youngest team Musselman will ever have. Um, I think, you know, he's kind of going outside his comfort zone with this. And I don't know that he's going to do it again. So I really think it'll be really guard heavy because uh, a lot of those bigs on the team, you know, they can return. And I think we would certainly expect them to, maybe except for Trevin Brazil because he's been incredible. So I would expect veteran Grad transfer guards uh, in the portal this year.
0: So, like comparing that to like Joseph Pinion, for instance, who mm-hmm. obviously four star you want to develop, or uh, Darian Ford sure. or Barry Dunning, um, you're still thinking guard heavy in this, or in, in like those guys kind of being like a chore, kind of not really a chore, but like someone you want to develop, uh, so to speak?
2: Yeah, I, I still think you're going to go guard heavy because we've seen it with what Muslim has done every year. Uh, he likes, except for this year, uh, he likes that veteran. Presence. I mean, you think about Jalen Tate. He brings him in. He's a veteran presence. Jimmy Witt in his first year. He's a veteran presence. Um, So again, I I just see him going after somebody like that again. That those younger guards can learn under and continue to develop. Because the truth is, uh, barring an incredible summer for one of them or all of them, uh, you know they're probably going to be three to four year players. And so, to what the standard that Musselman has set, uh, I'm not sure they're going to be ready for. 32 minutes a game
0: next year but hey I, we, we've seen crazy things happen before all right so like speaking about those guards by the way um kind of turning a little bit more toward Maui I think the question mm-hmm. that all Razorback fans really want to know um is are we finally going to see Nick Smith back on the? yeah
2: game? yeah I hope so you know here's what I tell people pretty regularly um I have the silly check mark on Twitter that I was not deserving of. (laughs) People think, people think I have sources. I personally do not have sources, but I talk to the people that do. And there's a little bit of, uh, I'm hearing two things a lot. So I think it's going to be one or the other, either he will be ready for Maui or right after Maui. That's what I really expect. Uh, I expect we'll see him play next week or right after it, you know, right at the first of December is what I would expect. Um, so we'll I, see. I'm I'm hopeful next week though.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking like Louisville seems like a good game to get him out for because like, you know, it's no offense to Louisville, they haven't exactly lived up to any kind of expectations for their uh, first couple of sure. games of the year, but if you do have to wait for Maui after Maui, I guess Troy and um UNC Greensboro and uh, those teams that are coming after the schedule would be really good games for him to warm up to before SEC play. Uh, we sure. were talking last week when the news came out that we were like, "Yeah, don't rush him," but like, hopefully he gets back to the court soon. I think that's yeah. kind of the approach.
1: <laughs> yeah, for I sure. think <laughs> if we, uh, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was, I was gonna saying. say, I think if we, um, you know, have have a pretty easy win over Louisville, like we're kind of all expecting, um, you know, and he's good to go. Uh, once they get to Maui, I know it's a long flight, so his knee might be flaring up uh that first day, but you know maybe game yeah. two we'll see him. It's kind of what I was thinking.
2: It's gonna be interesting. Uh, you know when the news came out, naturally everybody freaked out a little bit um, because you know they didn't give us a timeline and no. and there were rumors swirling of twelve weeks and crazy SEC stuff play, like that.
0: Yeah, never getting yeah, on the court. yeah,
2: sure. <laughs> I even saw some stuff this week. People are saying that he doesn't want to play. I mean, just just madness. But uh, it's, it's actually as frustrating as it's been and as scary as it's been, it's going to be really good for the team to have this time without him. Uh, you've had other guys that have had to step up. Um, and so I think it's in the long run, really be better for the team that this has happened.
0: Okay, so let's uh, let's actually turn to the bracket for a second um, before we okay. drive exactly into these games. So I was looking at it and I keep going back and forth. I can't figure out which side of this bracket is uh, tougher. Wh- what do you think? Is it the Hog side or is it the Ohio State Arizona side?
2: I'm I'm going to say the Razorback side. Now I know Louisville's on there and they're 0 and 3 and they look terrible. Uh, but you've got when all teams are completely healthy. I mean, Texas Tech had pretty high expectations before their big man, who Arkansas recruited, the transfer Fardalz Amok. Um, you know, he's down with a knee injury, so uh, you know, at full strength, they're they're seen as a really really good team. Maybe not quite as good now. Obviously, Creighton and Arkansas both right there, top ten. So I'm I'm going to say the Arkansas side. Um, obviously, Arizona's ranked. San Diego State is ranked. Uh, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give one to the Razorbacks. Be a little biased here and uh, <laughs> give them the edge for now.
1: Arkansas has never won a Maui invite, and I really think um, this could be their year to do it for sure. Um, but you know, kind of looking at Game One, you know, we talked about Louisville. There's the expectations have definitely not been met. Um, you know, for their fan base at all. So, uh, you know, looking at their struggle this season, are you worried that might be a trap game for the Hogs?
2: It certainly could be, uh, but given that you're already at the Maui Invitational. I mean, you've, you're already on the plane. You're already there. I, I think it's kind of impossible for it to be a trap game. To me, the trap game was Wednesday night against South, South Dakota State. That was the trap mm-hmm. game. See, Once you're there in person, I mean, you're already in the tiny gym. You've already, you know, been on the beach. You've already done a stop. I mean, I mean, you're there. Uh, so I don't see it as a trap game. I really don't. Um, because son prepares them well, and he can motivate – and I mean you're on the trip, you're there, it's historic. Uh, that tiny gem, people are right on top of you. It's a big deal. So I, I I don't see it as a trap game. I I think that they'll come ready to play.
1: Yeah, and looking at um, you know, Ellis, their kind of their their star of the year, twenty four points, three assists. How do you think Muscleman's gonna strategize the game plan around that?
2: Well, I I think it's actually twofold, and one of them is going to sound a little backwards because I saw this question earlier looking over it, and here is how they're going to attack you is when he's on defense. Okay, I've watched Louisville a couple times, and I'm just going to be really blunt and honest. L. Ellis is a very, very poor defensive player, very poor defensive player. And when you have a team like Arkansas does with really smart defensive guards – and really long defensive guards. I mean, they're going to be hassling him all game uh, on, on when they're playing defense, but then boy, when Ellis has to turn around and try to guard them, I mean, they're going to attack him. They're going to attack him. They're going to attack him. And that's just going to lead to more frustration. And so it's, it's going to be twofold because of the size that the Arkansas guards have, it's going to be a difficult day for Ellis. I would think.
0: That makes perfect sense. All right. So let's say Hogs win game one. Um, Moving on to that, so you got the Creighton-Texas Tech matchup. Uh, Creighton is right with Arkansas right now um, at time of recording in the AP poll. Um, I know they've got a game tonight against a school I think I've only ever seen in NCAA video games. Um, So it it, it definitely definitely looks like a Creighton-Arkansas matchup looks uh, possible, and I think it would be a really interesting one. How do the Hogs compare to Creighton, and what's kind of the strength and weaknesses in that matchup?
2: Well, you know, they're a team that is – young like arkansas but they're kind of a year older this group was was giving kansas all they had in the ncaa tournament last year even though they were super young i mean you had uh, trey alexander and arthur coloma who muscleman recruited fairly hard uh coming out of high school actually there was like a 10-day period where it really looked like trey alexander was going to be a razorback uh really really close to being a hog i don't really know what changed there but um so these are players that he's familiar with. Obviously, you got Baylor Shearman who came over from South Dakota State. Arkansas recruited him too out of the portal. So it's players that Musselman is familiar with. What will be interesting and different than anything Arkansas has faced yet is they've got two big guys that are they're big. I mean, they're they're big post players. I mean, their leading score is seven foot tall. And their backup big man is six foot ten, two thirty five, and so it's be some size that we haven't seen yet. And obviously they've got the good guards with Alexander and Ryan Mhard. so it's they're very very balanced. And the size is going to be the really really interesting part for me, is how will those Arkansas bigs who muscleman has just rotated in, rotated out, trying to find the ones that stick, how will they do against the experienced size of Creighton?
0: Okay. And so like on the other side of that, say tech should win. Um, How big is that hogs tech game um, for both fan bases? Obviously there's a little bit of relationship there. You think about the uh, game that got Arkansas into the sweet 16, finally, you know, breaking that glass ceiling, it seems like for the first time in a long time, Um, you know, and then there's of course the old Southwest conference rivalry, um, you know, back in the day. So like, how, how do fans kind of interpret that game on both
1: sides?
2: Yeah. You know, Arkansas fans are probably a little sick of playing Texas Tech. I think it would be like our fourth time in the last seven years, potentially. We've played them in the SEC Big 12 uh, Challenge. I think the Razorbacks got the best of them one year, and then we played them when Texas Tech was really good with Chris Beard, and they got us. Then, obviously, the tournament. So, just a lot of matchups with them in recent years. Um, You're wanting revenge if you're Texas Tech, right? I mean, obviously, Chris Beard isn't there. But, you know, their head coach was an assistant under Beard. So he's going to remember that. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. And then Kevin O'Banner, I mean, he was down to Tech in Arkansas coming out of the portal. I Man, he was down to the bottom two. We were right there, uh, nearly had him. And he's a very skilled player. Muscleman knows him from the Oral Roberts matchup that same year. Uh, but, boy, he's he's a hoss. Uh, he is just a strong player, smart player. And we're going to have to throw a lot of different looks at him. Um, it's going to be kind of like Creighton other than, you know, he's just not super tall. It's how do those big guarding? Um, and there probably be even times you would see somebody like a Jordan Walsh, uh, maybe even Anthony Black, you know, he's, even a, he's a guard, but uh, with that link, maybe just throw different looks at him, give him different things to see.
0: I mean, that would actually be a fantastic situation because like, I think last night um, we finally saw Jordan Walsh begin to step up because it couldn't have gone much worse for game one for Jordan Walsh, but like, you know, as the last two games have gone and gotten better. So seeing him in a high profile matchup, should be a lot of fun to give him a chance to step up there. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, I think that would definitely be an entertaining matchup.
2: For sure. Uh, they're, they're young uh, outside of their top two scores, really young. Um, had some high-profile recruits, uh, got some other transfers. So it's an interesting bunch this year. Uh, I I wish the big guy was able to play. I really do think that would be interesting to see that. And I think that's what makes uh, a lot of this Musselman era really interesting because of how thorough he is in the portal and the high school ranks. We're facing guys that we recruited heavily all the time. Uh, So I always think that's really interesting. And it provides a scouting advantage for Musselman, too.
1: Yeah, so I've been looking at game three, um, you know, a lot of possibilities there, uh, specifically kind of looking at um, Ohio State, Arizona, um, but, you know, also the possibility to go up against San Diego State and Cincinnati. Um, For that game three, is there a specific team that you don't want to see Arkansas play against?
2: Yeah. uh, Honestly, It's Arizona. It's Arizona. For a couple of reasons, one, their coach is really good. I mean, it's year two; he had them rolling in year one. Um, that was a job that there was there was some rumblings kind of behind closed doors, maybe, maybe they were trying to get muscle men. Uh, in. Not sure how West
1: true. Yeah.
2: yeah, back on the West Coast, great job. You know, not sure how true those were, but uh, lots of rumblings there. But here's why this matchup scares me: uh, they have four seven footers. Four. Uh, <laughs> their leading score is 6'11", 245. He's averaging 20 and 8. Their second leading score is foot two sixty, and he's averaging 17 and a half and 8 and a half rebounds. So that size is just a lot. And obviously this isn't last year's Arkansas team where you had, you know, 6'7 on a good day, Kamani Johnson as your backup big. This isn't year one with Musselman with Adriel Bailey playing center. You know, it's a different muscleman team. But if we're looking strictly at wins and losses, that's the team I want to avoid. Uh, on the flip side, I'm gonna throw another team out there as as maybe want to avoid them for a different reason. San Diego State. Their coach is Brian Dutcher. Okay, they're in the Mountain West Conference with Muscleman when he was at Nevada. Okay, they played each other six times and Dutcher went four and two against Mus. They know each other well. Uh, so there'd be a little bit of a different rivalry, you know, coming back to that. So I thought that might be interesting uh, to see that again, but definitely uh Arizona is who I, I would want to avoid, uh, in, in the Maui.
0: I didn't know that about the San Diego one. That's, uh, the San Diego state one. Yeah. actually. Yeah. That's a good yeah. tidbit of information there. i like, and in my brain, you know, he was just, must was just at Nevada only a couple of years ago. And I don't know why I don't you yeah. know, go back and look at those mountain West now matchups there, but like, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good piece of information there yeah
1: yeah for sure. yeah so looking you know like you said some great teams uh we're more than likely going to play up against six of eight of them are in the top 50 on Ken Palm four of them in the top 25 who's your favorite and do you think the Hogs have a chance to still go three and oh
2: it's tough um You know, the the fan in me, the Arkansan in me says, Of course, three and oh, of course, we're gonna finally, you know, get the Maui, whatever. Uh, but given the youth, given the you know, unknown status of Nick Smith, uh, three games, three days, kind of different than what these guys have done, uh, I think it's gonna be pretty tough to go three and oh, I really do. Um, if we were to do that, holy moly, talk about get high on the hogs
0: Um, yeah for sure top five talk goes crazy yeah Yeah.
2: sure well and here's the deal there there have been several national media people that have called this the deepest Maui field they've ever seen in their 20 years of covering the sport so you walk out of that three and oh that's that's pretty impressive Uh, so I'm gonna say my favorite I'm gonna say Arizona I think Arizona wins it that's a fair pick that's my pick Yep. I like Creighton. I think Creighton's good, uh, but they're still young. And um, Arizona, I just like their coach. I like their big man. So I'm going to go Arizona.
0: That's fair enough. Like I, I think yeah. is a, a very good pick. Like, looking at the bracket, sure. I think that would be – I think I had the same three teams circled that you're kind of talking about, Creighton, Arkansas, yeah. and uh, Arizona would definitely be it, it, at the top of that conversation, you know, for sure. sure. Um, that's a, that's a difficult team to, uh, to take care of. Um, so kind of looking in the future, obviously you got a chance to get a lot of good wins at Maui. You know, there's, there's that potential. So how much do you think this will impact the hog seeding come March? Uh, there's not a lot of super tough teams left in the non-conference after Maui. So what, you know, obviously this is a big chance. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, what it has to do more than anything is, um, Really, it boils down to what your bad losses are. If you avoid bad losses, then at the top, it's all about who you've beaten, right? So that's, to me, that's where it matters most. Uh, if you're if you're a top three seed, boy, at that point, you're measuring who's got the better wins, who's got the better wins. So if the Razorbacks can, can avoid bad losses, if they can avoid that lull that we've seen really really every year of the Muscleman era. Uh, except maybe the first year. There were some injuries there that may have caused that. Isaiah Joe out for six games. Um, if we can avoid that lull, avoid the three-game losing streak here, the, you know, losing four out of six and losing to teams that you shouldn't, uh, I think that's when these wins can make a huge, huge impact because they're neutral site, just like the NCAA tournament. Um, and and here, here's something that's big is that, you know, the net rating now, we, we got rid of the RPI. With the net rating now, games in November count just as much as games in February, and so these games matter. I mean, they're they're definitely resume builders for sure. So there's great importance to them, and obviously the team that we're going to see next week is not the team we're going to see in February. But if you can walk away with two and one, man, be huge.
0: Well, obviously
2: three and zero, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, as Cal said at SEC Media Days uh, at the beginning of the season, may the RPI rest in peace. Like, you know, like (laughs) get rid of that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. I I think the network's so much better. Okay, so I always ask everybody a ridiculous question. Um, First interview, uh, I'm trying to make this a tradition of something I can think of. Uh, We heard Musk talk in his press conference last night that they're going surfing while they're uh, they're in Hawaii. Um, So now I surf. Um, I, you know, I've surfed Australia and a few other places. I'm not just a regular, oh. I've done a couple of trips in my life. I'm not a stay at home Arkansan. Um, <laughs> but you know, surfing, it, it takes a little bit to get up on that board for the first time. And I know that's Mus's goal to get everybody on the board for the first time and get them to stand in right away. Who ends up being the best surfer on this team?
2: Hmm. I don't know anything about surfing, i to be honest with you. So, I, <laughs> so I'm going to go, I, obviously balance. I'm going to go. Because of just thinking about balance, I'm gonna go a lower center of gravity. So I'm gonna go a shorter player.
0: Okay, we're going with a guard.
2: Okay, so we're gonna go with a guard. And then I'm just gonna go with a guy that is, you know, he's doing the TikTok dances. He's got the fingernails painted. I mean, we gotta go Devo Davis. Devo Davis. Devo Devo is gonna rock the surfing.
0: But all right, I feel that. I I can feel some Devo doing some surfing there. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun, you know. He's got the move. Yeah he's, got the, yeah, he's got the player on the nails. I'm digging it. Yeah, that's yep. the that's yep. stuff right there.
1: <laughs> I'm ready to see all the content from that outing. Oh, you know, sure. that'll,
0: be some, that'll
2: be some great stuff, for sure. I bet
0: this thing, Arkansas sure. has a fantastic social media, Uh, so, you know, like all the team accounts and everything. You know, we're going to see them crash into some waves a couple of times. It's like, dang it. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, before we let you go, I, I want to say thank you so much for reaching out with us when we were just a little bitty humble. Um, we're still super humble. Like let, let's not get bigger. Let's start the podcast, but like reaching out for us and sending us so much love. You were kind of the final push for me and Maddie to say, like, we're finally going to start a podcast. So cool. we want to cool. say, thank you so much for that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think your branding is great. Here's the truth. Um, you know, the conference as a whole, the SEC, with basketball is is really severely undercovered. It really is. Uh, obviously, football is king. We know that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and and you look around. There's all these little websites for SEC football and SEC that. But you you don't really see it for hoops very much. And so I think the branding's great. I think the name's great. And uh, y'all keep on because uh, the con- we need more of this for the conference for sure.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. And yeah. as much as you say you don't deserve the blue check mark, uh, we definitely <laughs> miss you writing for Arkansas fight. Um, sure. So like, where can people find you nowadays? Well, really,
2: I mean, it's just, it's just on Twitter. I mean, that's really where everything's at. Um, it's just at Ben Brandon hoops. And, you know, there may become a time when I start just a little blog where I can just do my own thing when I want, who knows, maybe someone swindles me back into another website. I don't know.
0: Hey, we could always uh, be the then, person in the podcast. <laughs>
2: yeah, hey, there you go. You never know. Uh, but until then, you know, I guess I got what two hundred eighty characters on Twitter to let the let the thoughts flow. It's not much, but uh, you can find my thoughts uh, analysis there. I guess.
0: now well, and then you've also got the website that has all those great tools, like that shows the. That's uh, true. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. So if you if you go to my Twitter profile, I've got a little link tree with uh, some cool google docs in there uh for those that don't know there's just an arkansas offer list i keep up with all the offers and as well as transfer contacts each summer and then uh also i have a google doc on there for sec roster turnover it's always in this day and age hard to keep up with who's leaving who they got coming on scholarship, who's the high school kid, who's the transfer. So I try to keep up with all that. It's a lot of fun. I'm
0: about to say, uh, the world is a wild place.
2: <laughs> it is a wild, wild place. And speaking of recruiting in Arkansas recruiting, just before we hopped on the podcast tonight, Muscleman and the Staff offered their first player for 2026, a 14 year old six foot 10 player. That's oh, crazy.
0: Yeah. it Was that uh, a <laughs> Bozeman? Was the name is how you pronounce that? Or was it?
2: you know uh, honestly i don't even remember i don't even remember what his (laughs) name was but i'm telling you, he's six foot ten and he's 14 years old so
0: definitely something to go look up after this he's
1: awesome yeah for sure
0: for sure all right well ben thank you thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight hopefully we have a really good uh good maui tournament and uh time recording we'll have give the rest of our previews right after this so (laughs) awesome that's good thank y'all thank you thanks ben yeah, that was a fun interview with Ben. Uh, I am stoked for Maui tipping off tomorrow. That's going to be a ton of fun. I'm going to get some friends over and uh, enjoy enjoy a little bit of Maui. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, unfortunately, I will still be at work when that one starts. Four uh, o'clock but tip, yeah. You can uh, can guarantee it's definitely going to be up on my computer.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'll I'll be um I'll be figuring out a way to make sure that I get to watch it a little bit earlier too. This is the benefit of going back to school and getting your doctorate, you know, I'm just saying, you know, you you get shorter days sometimes and it 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 all comes to benefit at the end. Um but you know, it's Thanksgiving week, there'll be some people who are off and so like some people will get to watch this game or get to watch those games. All right. So, another great tournament we're going to talk about is the Battle for Atlantis uh happening down in the Bahamas and that is featuring Tennessee. This is an extremely loaded tournament. Obviously, Maui is a great tournament this year. Um, this is probably the second or third best tour- non-conference tournament to look at this year.
1: Yeah, I think this will be a good one to watch. Um, good one to keep up with uh, for sure. Just kind of going through the the schedule. Um, another one that for everybody stateside might be a little tricky to try and watch. Um, <laughs> but I definitely think it'll be worth uh Worth at least looking into the highlights if you can't catch the game.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what channel it's on or anything like that. Typically, I think it's on ESPN because I think it's part of the ESPN event stuff going going down. But, like, yeah, this is a fun tournament. Um, Tennessee starts off the tournament facing Butler. Um, This is not the Butler team that we have gotten to know over the years. You know, the Butler team that makes the tournament looks pretty good. Can find their way into the Sweet 16. This isn't that Butler team this year. This isn't the strongest one we've ever seen. Um, this butler team lost to Penn State. Now, granted, Penn State has been extremely red hot this season. Uh, very one probably one of the biggest surprises. Um, but this butler team has taken care of business against its mid major opponents. Uh, and but they this butler team, as I I've mentioned, this isn't it. They're expected to finish ninth in the biggies. So this isn't necessarily the best butler. Team we've we've ever seen. Um, They also have a tendency to get a little bit of foul trouble or not to get into foul trouble. Um, They have a tendency not to get into foul trouble. They're only averaging 12 fouls per game, which is shocking because that's, you know, not ending up in the bonus if you split that Mm -hmm. between halves.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, like you said, Butler's a little underwhelming than what they usually are for the year. Um, So, you know, hopefully we aren't wrong like we. We're about Texas (laughs) A&M, and they can come away with a win in round one. Um, I think, you know, um, if they end up playing that USC team and then go on to playing Kansas is where they're really going to start struggling.
0: Yeah, so in game one, talent-wise, I really like Tennessee here. I also think Tennessee's Mm -hmm. defense is going to end up prevailing. Um, Butler was only held to 62 points um, when they played Penn State, so – Defense does win and defense does travel. So I I do like Tennessee here. Now, as you were talking about um, that next game, um, talking about USC and BYU as that next game. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, This is objectively the easiest side of the bracket. Um, You know, Tennessee side is um, USC has struggled. They've lost to FGCU, as we talked about earlier. And BYU has struggled against mid-majors like, Mizzou State and Idaho State. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also lost to a very, very good and strong defensive team in San Diego State, who is going to be at Maui. Um, again, I I think Tennessee's defense and controlled style will end up winning against BYU, and talent should just beat USC. Like I I think that's kind of how this equates.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched too much USC, um, but just looking over their schedule and. Not really, even pay much attention to their wins, but their losses is what really makes me think uh, Tennessee's gonna gonna come out with an easier win on that one.
0: In your defense, it's not exactly easy to get the Pac-12 network, <laughs> especially when you live in um you live in uh, Arkansas. So you know it's kind of in a kind of a, not a not a channel we frequently get out here. Um, you got to be looking for it to have it.
1: <laughs> yeah, my mindset when it comes to basketball season is usually like, oh, open ESPN Plus. This looks like a decent <laughs> game we'll turn it on and then I just sit there and let all of them loop through
0: yep there you go unless I, there's
1: one like I'm specifically looking for
0: yeah you know like Gonzaga and Kentucky which we'll get back to in a second exactly. <laughs> and on the I other side if the, we want to we don't want to check that one out right now is it still going that way okay <laughs> yeah on the others yeah on the other side of the bracket um Dayton Kansas NC State and Wisconsin obviously Kansas is the team to beat in this tournament um Definitely. I think Yeah, I I don't think that there is a better team in this tournament but Kansas. Now, Uh, Dayton had that upset uh, early in the season, but still could be one of the better teams that are here, and they still look to be the Atlantic 10 favorites this season. Now, overall, I I like Tennessee's chances to get to the final, but if they run into Kansas or Dayton, uh, get ready for an extremely close game, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Earlier, Tennessee walked down defense, but I think – considering the travel to the Bahamas and then the level of teams you're going to be playing against. If you make it to that championship round, uh, I think it's going to be something they're going to struggle with.
0: Yeah, for sure. And just, it's kind of unfortunate in my opinion, where Tennessee sits at in the bracket is that if they get to that final game, that's probably going to be the best win that they can pull out of the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they will be glad if they can draw USC because that'll probably be the better game. That may help them out um, in the net later down the road. But like, I got a feeling overall, it's it's not the best situation for Tennessee. And if they run into Kansas in that final, that's not what you want. So, yeah. All right.
1: I think I think it's going to be more of a case of a loss to Kansas or possibly a good Dayton team is going to look a lot better than a loss to, you know, if they lose out to Butler in the first round.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't be ideal. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely not the ideal situation there. Phil Knight Invitational. This is where Alabama's uh, got a really good tournament in front of them. Uh, Brandon Miller is playing sensational for the Tide. He leads the Tide with twenty points so far this uh, twenty points per game so far this season. And Noah Clowney, ten point five rebounds a game. Now, this is a very deep tournament overall. Uh, Alabama has played well, but this will be their first real test of the season.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And just looking at the lineup of games. Um... You know, if I were Alabama, I'd get get a little bit of anxiety looking through, um, you know, just some of the opponents, especially when you start game one against a white hot Michigan State team.
0: Insane matchup there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Insane matchup. You're talking about a Michigan State team that beat Kentucky, taking Gonzaga, you know, the length of the court and played all mm-hmm. game there with them. And they're expected to be in the top 25. Yeah, no, Michigan State is a very, very, very good team. Uh, Michigan State also played Nova on Friday in the and ga- the Gavit tip-off and beat Villanova. Now, I don't know if the situation is that Nova's not as good as we think Nova typically is because they also lost the Temple, but like Villanova, Gonzaga, and Kentucky is not a bad resume to be looking at. And so like this Michigan State team just looks really good And this might be the best game of the tournament between Bama and Michigan State.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that one. Um, You know, looking at the possible matchups, you could have, you know, Villanova's on, you could have North Carolina against Villanova. Um, Oregon might be a good matchup with Alabama, depending if, you know, that's in the winners or losers bracket after the first game. Um, But I think you're right, you know, just looking at the possibilities I think this Alabama Michigan state game might be the best possible game we're looking at.
0: Yeah. And so just dive into that game a little bit further. Um, Bama has the advantage on the glass. If you look at the stats, but um, Bama has a rebound differential of 24.3, but remember Michigan state has played a much tougher schedule up to this point than Alabama has. So when I look at Michigan state, two things stand out to me, their field goal percentage and their assist. Uh, Michigan state is averaging 17.3 assists a game. They're shooting 44.2 per game. Now the tide are better in both of those categories, but again, Michigan state has played tougher opponents. So that's going to be kind of a question. Uh, Michigan state also turns the ball over less than the tide and Michigan state, shot 51.9% against Villanova and outshot Kentucky from the field 2% in the Champions Classic. So Sparty plays some really good defense and the tied average about 17 turnovers a game. From what I see right now out of Michigan State, just because they're so hot, my first impression is to say, give me Sparty. Um, the other side of that, though, too, is that eventually when you play this well, sometimes you just have an off night, especially early in the season like this.
1: This Michigan State team, it seems like they've got it got it all going for them. Um, three-point percentage, 42.4% um, on average, which is absolutely outrageous. And, you know, just thinking back to Alabama teams of the past, their three-point defense isn't always phenomenal. Um, so I think they really got to get that in check for this game.
0: Yeah. Uh, my, like I said, initial impression says, get me Sparty. We'll see how Michigan State comes out to start this tournament off. Um, but if history of the last couple of games tells us anything, get ready for a show in that game. Um, because that one could go either way. All right. So let's talk about game two. Title will either play Yukon or Oregon in game two. Um, this is a really interesting situation. Um, both teams are kind of Yukon's good. Let me let me start there. Yukon's good. They have the best defensive rating in the Big East. Uh, it's Oregon that's kind of the team that you don't necessarily want to play. And I don't mean that from the fact of, oh, if you play Oregon, like they're going to beat you. No, 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 no. Like you just don't want to get beat by Oregon right now because they just don't have their stuff together in this given moment.
1: You know, looking at their game later today, Oregon plays Houston. Yep, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think they're probably going to take a beat down from Houston, so going into the Phil Knight Invitational It's going to be a rough start for them. Um, So, you know, if they do end up playing Alabama um, in the losers bracket, they're probably going to be coming for, uh, you know, trying to get a quality win at that point. Yeah, for
0: sure. And Oregon's only averaging 72.3 points per points a game. And those games have been typically against mid-major opponents. Oregon did lose to the UC Irvine Anteaters. What a nickname. Um, I I think game two is much more favorable for the tide though, overall, but Mm. a game against UConn would be the chance of the quality win that the tide want. Um, That's a top 25 team. It's a big East opponent. So that's a team that you can imagine is going to be staying in good position against the opponents that they're going to face unless it's Georgetown. Um, So right now, definitely, definitely like the possibility of a UConn Alabama matchup. I think that would be a really good win for the tide if they should draw UConn,
1: you know, like I said, it's kind of it's. I think it's going to be dependent on how that first game goes. You know, if UConn loses that game, they're sitting they're sitting at I think uh, 25 right now in the ranking. So they're if they lose to Oregon, they're going to be holding on for dear life to try and get that quality win. Um, so I think it'll be a scrappy game against Alabama if it's Alabama and UConn.
0: Yeah, definitely going to be a lot of fun. And the fun doesn't stop there for Tide fans because <laughs> on the other side of the bracket. Uh, is this underwhelming number one team in North Carolina. I don't suspect when people start listening to this podcast that they'll be number one much longer. Uh, I think the AP might shake things up a bit. And then also on the other side, you have Portland and Iowa State, who I imagine are going to end up in the loser's bracket, uh, and then Villanova. Um, so we're going to see who this Villanova team actually is after those two losses that they have had. Uh, to Michigan State and Temple, we'll see how they actually are. So I, I think the tied side of the bracket's tougher. My favorite in this tournament is probably Michigan State. um and but I can see Alabama finishing fifth in this tournament, but that's only because of how the brackets actually laid out. Fifth is the best they could finish if they should happen to end up on the loser side of the bracket. So like that's not a horrible finish. I think what's more important is that Alabama could finish this tournament two and one uh, depending on who they draw in that third round.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, You know, I feel like looking at anything more than fifth, just based off of the fact that they're playing Michigan State first is going to be super aspirational of us for for Alabama's sake.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and let's not discredit the Tide too much. Like, it's really the fact that they haven't played anybody yet, so we don't really know if they're living up to the billing. Tide's a top 25 team. We do need to note that the, they have good players, in Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney. Like they, they're a good team, but I still have questions about them. Um, they've done a good job. They've beaten who they're supposed to beat. They hung hundred points on Jacksonville State. Like there's some good things about this Tide team. So like, I don't necessarily think that just because they're playing Michigan State, it's over for them. I just happen to like Michigan state a little bit more right now, given the circumstances are surrounding Michigan state. Um, So like, that's why I'm kind of feeling the fifth place finish for the tide.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I don't want to discredit Alabama at all. I think they are a a solid basketball team. Um, You know, it's just looking back at, you know, hanging toe to toe with Gonzaga and then beating Kentucky in double overtime. Michigan state has to continue to prove themselves um, to keep moving up in the world. So, you know, I think they're going to give Alabama a run for the money for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. And our last game that we're going to talk about here on the, uh, on the podcast is goes back more of a weekly wrap, wrap up here. Uh, we need to talk a little bit of women's basketball because we don't neglect women's basketball on here. We make sure we talk about the big ones for sure. South Carolina taking on Stanford outlasts the Cardinal in overtime between the top two showdown. Maddie, what did you think of this game?
1: Man, you know, I was looking over the highlights earlier today, and it made me regret not watching that game as it was happening. Um, You know, Aaliyah Boston clutched three to send it into overtime. Um, And then, you know, Stanford just kind of fumbled the bag. They tried to call a timeout. With I think it was 3.1 seconds left, but they didn't have any timeouts left to call, so that ended up having them throw inbounds from the opposite end of the court and really gave them no shot to uh, to to tie the game up and into a, a double overtime.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Leah Boston was huge in this game. Yeah, despite fouling out of this game, her contributions to this game were crucial, crucial for getting South Carolina this win. And like, can you ask for a better basketball game this early in the season? Like both these teams legitimately have tournament aspirations to win the whole thing. So oh, like, yeah. I mean,
1: they were ranked, uh, I mean, South Carolina, obviously ranked number two in the women's basketball bracket. Stanford was ranked, or sorry, number one for South Carolina and number two for Stanford, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was number one, South Carolina, number two, Stanford. And like, yeah, yeah. Early season, like, you can't ask for a more competitive matchup than that. Um, I, I just I'm, – I'm at a loss for words on how good this game actually, you know, actually turned out to be. Well, I, mm-hmm. it not actually turned out to be. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, like, my expectation was, like, oh, yeah, one and two are playing. It would turn out to be a great game. Like, that's what I'm trying to get at. You know, you expect a good game. Turns out to be an all-timer, really. So, like, yeah, that was – That was definitely a great win uh, for South Carolina. Definitely one that you're talking about down the road that's going to get you some recruits.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, like I said, Aaliyah Boston just really dominated this whole game. Um, She led in points and rebounds for South Carolina. It wouldn't have shocked me if she led in assists too, but I guess somebody's got to pass to her to make all those points.
0: Absolutely. All right, so what is the check-in currently on the Gonzaga-Kentucky game?
1: We just wrapped up Gonzaga 88, Kentucky 72.
0: Okay, let's talk about this game for a second. All right, so Oscar Sheboy has 20 points. uh, He had 15 rebounds, six on the defensive glass, six on the offensive glass, and Javar Wheeler only putting up four assists in the game. That's kind of surprising to me. This Um, was a game that Gonzaga controlled start to finish.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, You know, I've kind of had it on in the background As we've been recording, and I swear every time I looked up, it was just Kentucky doing something that I knew was going to burn them at the end of this game.
0: Yeah, it it looks. I'm just taking a look at the shot the shot chart here real fast, and it's Kentucky seemed to be able. I I don't know necessarily like if it was that Kentucky shot well from the from the high post there. (laughs) Or if Gonzaga was forcing him out, because, like, you were watching the game. I, I wasn't. I was more keeping up with stat on stat line here. But, like, mm-hmm. at the end of the game, it, it really just looks like that Gonzaga absolutely dominated on the interior portion of, you know, around the hoop and made some clutch three-pointers.
1: Very true. Um, you know, like you said, just kind of looking over the stat lines, would like to point out Kentucky 75% from the charity stripe. Gonzaga 90.5 free throws win basketball games.
0: (laughs) It's such a simple concept. Just, just make your, make your free throws. Like why in a clutch moment like that, like, or, you know, as that game goes on, you're, you need to hit your free throws. You need (laughs) to get those free baskets. And I know on the road, 75% is good, but like when the other team shooting 90, like, yeah, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: obviously free throws weren't the only contribution um, Gonzaga, their field goal percentage was 56.4%. Yeah. Insane. Um, you know, especially compared to Kentucky's, um, three point percentage as well, over a 10 point percent advantage. So it was just one of those things that it seemed like Kentucky was kind of shooting themselves in the foot, um, with minor mistakes that ended up adding up and costing them the game.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about those free throws um, like just for a second, because like just looking at this, like Kentucky, 22 fouls compared to Gonzaga's 12.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So like, yeah, when you get to the line five more times, you get five more shots at the line than your opponent and then you're shooting 90%. Yeah, that's converted for 19 points. That's that's astounding. Um, Gonzaga dominates him on the glass plus 10. Like that's that's it's nuts. You got the player of the year. Two of the player of the year candidates are on the floor and you've got the player of the year in Kentucky and you don't win the rebounding category when that's a big man. Like that's that's alarming to me. Um, And then Kentucky for the for another game now, because they didn't shoot well against Michigan State, come out in this game and only shoot thirty nine percent have has collectively because I'm not the only one saying this collectively. Are we you think people might be a little overhyped or? too too big on Kentucky's offense I think that's my question that's forming in my head at this point
1: I don't know if it's just Kentucky's offense all around um but I think it's you know those things like leading into um the offense which hear me out I know that sounds a little rough but <laughs> um you well know, maybe this is rapid
0: to, reaction it all sounds rough
1: <laughs> right um you know I'm trying to to see if I can find the stat but it's Gonzaga ended up getting seven more turnovers than Kentucky. But Kentucky didn't capitalize on those from what I saw in the game. Um, and, you know, you've got to take those opportunities. You know, that's for points. The, yeah. Is if that, they didn't so, convert on the turnover.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, isn't that something we literally talked about on the podcast last week is the fact that, Kentucky needs to take advantage of how often Gonzaga turns the ball over and then convert those into points. Like if you get half of those turnovers converted into points that they averaged, you're talking like 15 points is what we came out to. Like,
1: Yeah, I remember one play distinctly because I was just, you know, head in my hands because I was like, what is happening? Kentucky picked up on a Gonzaga turnover, went down, missed an alley-oop. She boy got the rebound, missed a dunk, and Gonzaga got the ball back and took it down the floor. It's insane. Just you had, I mean, if you count the turnover and the two misses, you had three attempts to score there and gave them the ball back.
0: That's the it's that's the rough that's yeah the incredibly rough loss for Kentucky.
1: That Um, is not something a number four team should be doing.
0: Absolutely not. Now I don't think they're going to get punished in the polls necessarily, but like this, it you know they're they're on the road in Spokane. You know whether it's a neutral site or not, like it's in the same town as the as the team you're playing. Like that's not that's not really a a a, a neutral site game. Um, yeah, this is. To me, like, Kentucky should have played better in this game. They, not necess- they didn't necessarily – I didn't expect them to win. But, like, they should have played so much better in this game. You can't allow a team to, you know, shoot 56% from the floor. You can't allow that. You you can't yeah. allow that. You can't allow that team to score 41 points when you scored 25 in the first half. That's that's inexcusable. Um, It's just – Oh, just ridiculous! Absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, Kentucky fans should be a little bit ticked off about this game. Like I, I know that you know that might not be completely fair, but I think they're rightfully rightfully upset uh, about uh, as this game comes to an end here tonight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree there. Um, you know, I think there definitely needs to be some changes moving forward, um, considering strategic. They're gonna have to be um, this season to come back from two back-to-back losses.
0: Yeah. My question is now with those back, well, not back-to-back losses. They played South Carolina state in the middle, but yeah, back-to-back. I forgot about that one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like everybody forgot about that one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just a weird game to have in the middle of that. What's I think the most intriguing about this is that how is, how is this week going to be remembered by the committee at the end of the season? Now, obviously if Kentucky wins every basketball game from here to the end of the season, and I don't think they will. Um, but if they should, they're a number one seed. But mm-hmm. losing to Michigan State and losing to Gonzaga in a seven day period, how how is the committee gonna think about this later? Is is my first question. Because like, is Kentucky done now with a chance at a number one seed?
1: I think looking at their, their future schedule and what just happened, I think so.
0: They they might be done because they gotta go to Arkansas. They got to travel to London. They got UCLA on the schedule. Um, there's there's a lot of things that, you know, it, it could go bad for Kentucky. It could go bad. So we'll just see. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully they start getting some wins put together, find themselves in a two seed in the tournament, and they'll call life good at that point. But, like, this cannot be the way that it starts off. With. And, you know, I, this just came into my mind. Like I said, this is some rapid reaction here. Kentucky, I remember Ken- Cal saying at the beginning of the season that the team is not where he wants it to be at this given moment. And so it's going to take time. Maybe that's why he made some of the questionable lineup changes that he had tonight, like when he put out there and put those lines out there. But like, we'll I guess we'll just see if how where Kentucky is at in this given moment and where they're going to be at the end of the year it says a lot about what Cal was trying to tell the fan base
1: definitely something we're gonna play it pay close attention to as the rest of the season pay plays out and really I think it's because of those losses um you know before we were kind of like oh Kentucky yeah they're gonna be sitting on top of the SEC for the rest of the year but you know now it's something that we definitely are gonna look at a little bit harder
0: Yeah. And I'm not really sure because like there were a lot of projections that Tennessee would end up winning the SEC along, you know, along with the Kentucky projections floors wide open between the top four. Now, in my opinion, like, I I mean, honestly, just given on what we're seeing, if Arkansas does well in Maui and Tennessee does well in Atlantis and Mm -hmm. Auburn, well, if Auburn doesn't do well in Cancun, like we'll know where (laughs) Auburn is, but like, you know, Given this, what we're seeing here early in the season, those four teams, all of them are going to be in a dogfight this season for the number one spot in the SEC. And it would not surprise me. I think there's a reason that me and you both agreed that Arkansas is the number one. And that I don't even think that as a Razorback fan. I'm thinking that as a basketball fan.
1: You know, it's going to, it's going to be an interesting season now for sure.
0: Yep. Definitely. So, um, and I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for tonight. Um, gonna have be some fun editing this one. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, they also say in Hawaii that aloha means both hello and goodbye. So I will tell all of our listeners here tonight aloha.
1: Aloha, aloha
0: and alo hogs. <laughs> Alohogs, hogs. Everybody enjoy Maui, it's gonna be a great tournament, and also enjoy some of the better tournaments, not named the Cancun Challenge, um, for the um for the rest of the week. Enjoy Feast Week, everybody.
1: All right, happy Thanksgiving, guys.